Hello, in the beginning there was a big bang which led me to the creation of brief history of time. Now from beyond the grave. Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-
a horror adventure in the style of a found footage film but I was describing this film just today actually to someone and it's not that it's not scary but when I think of a horror film I think of something like jump scares or something that really makes you unsettled whereas this felt a little bit more of like an adventure Um, there were were tense moments don't get me wrong but Mm -hmm. um, I was more enamoured and I was just drawn in by just trying to see what the trolls looked like or you know what was going to happen next to the 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 students and stuff like that but even though it's a found footage film isn't in the same vein as Blair Witch Project which literally had less than a couple grand in American dollar money and that went on to make millions but that what they found that I think to the best of my knowledge kind of kicked started the whole found footage film fad yeah it did yeah but this isn't quite the same because obviously they have these massive trolls that are um you know computer generated and stuff like that and quite quite well done I would say you know not not too Mm -hmm. bad I think you're I think you're right in nailing down the genre there I would agree that this is uh, a lost found footage adventure rather than labeling it a horror there's there's definitely sub genre elements of horror but it does come across much more of that kind of adventure and discovery and it's very kind of interesting i think from from that kind of perspective are you drawn to a lost found footage as a genre yeah no i mean we've probably talked you know if anyone else has listened to previous podcasts um you are definitely the go-to chap when it comes to horror movies i have watched horror movies but i don't usually actively seek them out now i didn't watch the blair witch project until years after it was made and a lot of people talked smack about it and i thought it was quite good it was eerie it was creepy it was pretty unsettling and I could, you know, to obviously when they start running about a bit more, the, the camera shaking can get a little bit straining on the eyes. But I suppose that's another way of maybe ramping up the tension. But definitely within probably, I think it was close to 2010, maybe even beforehand, uh, the Paranormal Activity films came out. And th- those are found footage yeah. films, but slightly differently because the camera isn't always being handled. A lot of the time it's like security cameras around houses yes. and stuff, which was a bit different. And it definitely took the, I think, the terms queasy cam out of it i find i find them quite interesting i mean i know i know that every found footage film is no longer you know it, it won't have what the blair witch project had because i think even the marketing for the whole thing was that it actually happened and that was what unsettled so many mm. people back then was that all the people involved in the film were almost completely unknown and i think that, you know i maybe should have looked into it more but i think there was I don't know if they faked their deaths or if there was like forged death certificates or something to actually show. There was something there was like missing, that. There was official missing posters. That and things was it. And you're really talking about the the birth of the internet here, and these kid filmmakers because they were they were just they were just kids. They exploited that in terms of marketing. The Blair Witch film is just a prime case study in how to market a movie yeah and i mean using the internet and selling it as something that was real which had never been done before it was a phenomenal thing to do the the only thing that's came close in terms of marketing that i've seen was the film unfriended which is shot entirely on a laptop Mm -hmm. and it was designed to you're, you're constantly trying to reimagine or 
represent to the audience new ways of doing lost found footage because they can become a little bit boring they can become a little bit stale and repetitive probably some of the standouts are things like as above so below uh paranormal activity series and for me unfriended because of the uniqueness of we're going to set it on a laptop and we're going to use the cameras on the laptop yeah they didn't really do any advertising for unfriended beyond the internet and they launched the trailer for unfriended the same day as an avengers trailer and unfriended actually beat it hands down in terms of streams wow because nobody it was word of mouth right just everybody started talking about this this thing because it just just looks so real and again there's that marketing of have you seen this and it's almost presented to you like almost like a file that you have to access you know then you send it to somebody else and it's like oh you know have you have you seen this that's going around the internet very clever very unique and i think troll hunter being that adventure found footage does give into that uniqueness and creativity do you want to tell us what the film is about yeah so oh, I'll, I'll get my synopsis voice on <clears throat> i don't even have a synopsis voice anyway when bears are found dead in norway students from volda university thomas joanna and cameraman is it kale kale cal yeah uh, yeah cal <laughs> cal um decide to investigate they stalk the trail of the mysterious hunter Hans, expecting to find an explanation for the killings. The reluctant Hans tries to flee from the youngsters, but then agrees to let them film him in action, provided they follow his orders. Soon the trio of students learn that Hans is actually a troll hunter working for a secret government agency. Further, several dangerous trolls have escaped from their territory and Hans is assigned to eliminate them. So, yeah, again, that's a pretty spot-on synopsis that pretty much includes everything. And before we go further... Spoiler! 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 We have to trigger the spoiler alert button because, as always, we encourage you to watch these films. We are going to discuss them. We're going to take you behind the scenes and give you some information about the films as well. But we're not going to hide what happens in the film we will be mentioning things like exploding trolls we don't want that to 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 spoil your entertainment so as always please if you're listening to this watch the film beforehand and then you can hopefully get some new insight uh, agree or disagree with us and go from there yep you've been warned get it watched um it's a it's a good one you won't regret it (laughs) so yeah i thought it was really good film i think it took a little bit to get into it now i'm not talking about the i'm not meaning like the film didn't kick off until you saw the first troll it's just you know that the students were kind of just knocking about and you know it's part of the story they hear about these bears that are showing up um, in kind of weird areas that they shouldn't be you know very close to civilization which i guess would be yeah it's you know that's far more of an issue in places like canada alaska you know russia finland you know the scandinavian countries because there be bears so the fact that these things are kind of showing up and i think some other crimes are attributed to the bears as well although it was technically it was actually the trolls but the whole point of this government agency is to keep hush hush 
basically maintain these trolls and you know I, I really quite enjoyed the story because it wasn't as if they they just made a lot of cast off comments you know a lot of things were kind of explained and yeah, I, I quite liked that because I know the trolls don't exist I mean I, I don't personally believe in mythical creatures or anything like that but if they did and you know government agencies or government bodies were trying to keep it under wraps I, I would imagine this would most likely be the way that they approached it they would have someone who i think uh, hans is supposed to be like an ex-marine or ex-army vet or something like that yeah yeah expert tracker uh, expert with explosives and able to think on his feet with a very limited budget because one of the complaints that hands actually have is that there's a lot of paperwork involved when you terminate a troll and you don't get overtime mm. and you're often working nights because trolls are allergic to the sun the sun will transform a troll to stone yeah anybody that's watched the first part of the hobbit for example will see that classic scene where Gandalf splits the tree and ex exposes the trolls that are trying to eat the party to the sun and they all turn to, turn to stone. So I quite like and I quite find the, the bureaucracy behind troll hunting quite funny because it's so low-key. We're not dealing with a men in black society, but at the same time we are. Yeah. We're not dealing with flashy gadgets and men in black suits. We've got Hans, who's walking about in army fatigues and camouflage. He has a, has a suit which is called the Tin Man, which looks like something you'd expect Ned Kelly to wear, which protects him <laughs> if, a, if a troll gets a little bitey. Um, but all these, all these things come out of the woodwork for the TSS. So this is the Troll Security Service. And obviously the government don't want to acknowledge that this exists, which is also quite amusing because the film actually leads up to the disappearance of the student filmmakers, yeah. very much in the same way that the student filmmakers disappear in Blair Witch. Yeah. And the film ends with a press conference that they, they redubbed, and it's the, it's the actual Norwegian Prime Minister, and he lets slip that, yes, they do have a troll um, security service. And yeah. one of his aides just kind of looks at him. But nobody nobody actually picks up on it because no. it just seems so ridiculous. Yeah. And it's a, it's a lovely little comment that nobody seems phased or bothered about it because yeah. it seems just so far-fetched. I think his comment is just, yeah, Norway has trolls, so what we're yeah, doing, yeah. and then his aide just sort of turns and looks, I'm like, what have you done? What have you said? <laughs> what have you just said? <laughs> when you watch or have watched this in the past, um, do you watch the dubbed version or do you put the subtitles on? I've watched both versions. So when mm. I, I first saw Troll Hunter when it came out in 2010, because cool. two of my closest friends are actually uh, from Norway, and... Ah. I was recommended it uh, by them because one of the things that a film like this does is it's filming on location. So it's using, and I've, be, I've, I've actually been to Norway myself. It's very much like Scotland. It's really beautiful. I'd so love to go. I've, I've actually been to some of the locations and one of the bridges that we see in a picture, which is partially destroyed because a troll walks into it with his head first, 
I, I've been on that bridge, I've walked around it and it's funny because the, the picture they used to show it destroyed is actually the construction picture because they built from two sides and met in the middle. So it was just it was just a picture of it not being finished, but <laughs> but but they show it as if it is it's partially destroyed from the head of a troll walking under oh, it. Oh man, um, that's awesome. So, so so yeah, so they film a lot on location. That's maybe perhaps one of the downsides to the film because you mentioned not being able to get into it maybe for about twenty twenty five minutes because there there is a lot of driving, there yeah. is a lot of shots out of car windows. And that works in its favour for the Scandinavian Scandinavian audience because they do literally show you the real locations and they show you the real signs. And that was one of the things the director wanted is that, you know, if you're a Norwegian film, yes, if it can find a wider audience, brilliant. But in terms of nationality, you're you're targeting a Norwegian audience. Yeah. So realism is important. So you can't start uh, in London and then 10 minutes later be at Wembley. That's not possible, okay? Mm -hmm. So you know that you see something like that in like 28 weeks later, for example. They're able to walk from the inner part of London to Wembley in 10 minutes. It's just, (laughs) you know, but actually to have these real places and them to travel those real distances... And to show you the lack of budget that the TSS actually have. I mean, it's one guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's like their most successful kind of troll hunter. It does add to the, the realism and then pulls back on everything that you would expect from a Hollywood film like Men in Black, where it's perhaps a little bit too much and you see a little bit too much. And it's less enjoyable, I think. It becomes more of a trashy kind of comic book. Whereas Troll Hunter, it just it shows you enough. I do wish I'd got a little bit more out of it. But yeah, watching this in, in 2010, when you are seeing this, not resurgence, but you're seeing a consistent output of lost found footage movies. Mm-hmm. And the reason you're seeing a consistent output is because there's an audience there for it. Yeah. If there wasn't an audience for Marvel movies, we wouldn't have 18 plus Marvel films. No, we, that's true. We would, have, we would have quit by now, but there's a huge audience there. And there still remains a dedicated audience for, for found footage. And I'm one of them. Mm-hmm. So if I see something like this advertised, I'll watch it. And I've, I've seen some of the worst found footage movies that are out there. And you will find, like you said, you will stumble across a gem of a movie. And then it makes it all worth it. Oh, absolutely. Now, just kind of briefly going back to the, the, the sort of sl- slightly slower start. As we said in the synopsis, they don't really know that they're follow the students who are making the film don't know that they're following a troll hunter. They just seem to be trying to find out more information about these random bear attacks, and you know that you, yeah. you even get a little bit of background knowledge about um, shooting permits and hunting permits that you need, yes. and how by the book quite or you mean I know they're actors, but how by the book some people in Scandinavian countries are like if you have a certain size gun, you can or you have a certain license, this is what you can and cannot hunt. Um, this that yeah. and the next thing um, and that's probably why gun crime is almost 
completely unheard of in Scandinavian countries. Either that or they're really good at getting away with it. For me personally, if I'm ever watching a documentary or a film or a TV program about Scotland, it's the scenic shots that I really enjoy. And I have to admit, Norway's a pretty beautiful place, so I didn't mind looking at fjords and stuff, but it did kind of seem at the start that it was just going from location to location and not really seen much for a while. However, past the first reveal, if that makes sense, past that point, it does have a pretty good pace and, you know, the excitement's kind of up and... It's not that it wasn't interesting before. It's just you have to... Yeah. It's one of these films that you might have to sort of bear with. And it's worth it. Yes. It's completely worth it. But you might have to just stick with it for a little bit. And then, yeah. you know, you'll get a... That's, you'll enjoy it. That's totally fair. I think that's a good point. Because you you have to establish kind of basic plot. I mean, these people think they are on the hunt for a poacher. And Hans is very much a mysterious character. He's an enigma. And we, we don't learn a great deal about Hans. And do you know what? I think that that's why I root for him almost as this kind of hero in this movie. Because when we do meet him, he he's just an ordinary guy. You know, he's yep. not got any superpowers. He's not got necessarily any special abilities. He knows trolls. He knows what works. He lives in a camper van that he drives around from place to place. And he knows to look for perhaps the way a tree has fallen. And that's an indication that a troll has came into uh, contact with it. But it's simple. It's not complicated. So I think once you get past that initial kind of setup and we get hands because we get hands for a good hour of the movie the movie's about an hour and 40 minutes i think mm. and hands really is the kind of central part of it once we're with him you get a lot of humor from him you get a lot of kind of you don't get a lot of emotion no no hands who is played by otto yerperson um yes he i thought he'd done like a really good job and he kind of seemed like a almost like a sort of reluctant hero but what i enjoyed in the story uh-huh. was it wasn't as if like no i'm never going to tell you my origin story and then because the students um played by uh glenn erland uh tosterund who plays thomas joanna mork who plays joanna and thomas alf larson who plays Cal, Kale, I'm going to keep getting that wrong. I do apologise, Thomas, because um, he will listen to this podcast. It, it's not as if like they sit down right around the campfire and he's like, well, let me tell, let me spin you a tale, let me tell you how it is. Yeah, you, you kind of get fed little bits of information, mm-hmm. and it's not, it's it's not to, it's not quite to the point that you only get little snippets that you it's open to interpretation. It's just a lot of sort of cast off comments, like to get really under the magnifying glass. But you know, he doesn't like his job. It does pay, but you know, like like he says, you don't get overtime. There's a lot of paperwork. You know, th- there's probably still a bit of research included in this, but he's the only person to do it. So there's maybe a reluctance for him to do this job because if anyone else does it, they might do it badly. Or you know, yeah. you know, we we later find out that he was sent into a particular area in order to like basically eradicate a bun- like a whole like sort of tribe of trolls kind of thing. Um, and you know we're talking like male female trolls and you know youngsters like ones that were mm-hmm. you know were babies and stuff and you can tell that that sort of thing still haunts him but he reluctantly still does this job because he doesn't really trust anyone else to do it to be honest the Norwegian government probably don't trust it with anyone else yeah. but you know he's kind of in that weird stalemate where he's not getting anything out of the job 
but he at least knows himself that he's doing it and doing it to yeah, the best of his ability kind of thing that is spot on because let's let's refer to him as as this kind of reluctant hero because mm-hmm. I, I think he recognizes in himself that he's the best person for the job but yeah because he he quite quickly comes round to recognizing what the students are trying to do I think he sees that as an opportunity to finally perhaps communicate the truth about all this work that, that he has been doing all these years. And you certainly see the frustration that that he he goes through kind of day to day and the fight that he goes through. And like I said, the the other people that he checks in with, like his manager, and mm. they're the very they're the bureaucrats and they don't they don't like the students. They don't want him talking. No, no. And really, they're they're the ones who come and do that kind of clean up at the end, you know. So when when Thomas is is running with the hard drives and he's trying to get away the, after the Yotner's been taken down, the the government turn up and they want to to make sure that a cover up goes in straight away and that everything's kind of silenced. And I think that that adds to or goes quite well with the final kind of joke where the Prime Minister, who's so inept, like Hans has kind of said from the start, all these people don't know what they're doing. I know what I'm doing. And he yeah. lets slip, you know, yeah. Um, we need to pay for, for more electricity poles because we have a troll problem. And that's why <laughs> they all get smashed. The, the budget is quite interesting as well, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, like we mentioned earlier, it wasn't quite the same sort of contrast as the Blair Witch Project. You know, the the budget for this film was about $3.5 million to make it, which by today's standards, even back then in 2010, was not a crazy amount of money in order to make a full film kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Maybe for a found footage style film, probably more so, because I think even the likes of the first Paranormal Activity film was again done on a pretty minimum budget i'm sure the whole thing was shot within the director's house but yeah i think it was about 25 grand that paranormal activity cost which is still real which is still really quite cheap not not exactly walking around money but in terms of making a film pretty cheap the global box office for troll hunter um was four million one hundred fifty nine thousand six hundred seventy eight dollars so it made its money back but not by a great deal but it's it's kind of like you mentioned earlier like it was almost as if it was a sort of film made for a norwegian audience it's just other people out with watched it and thought oh man this is actually really quite good yeah. and like it, yeah. it, it got an audience after its release one of the one of the guys who i used to work in the cinema with who's a bit older um and he i even remember him recommending it to me and he's like dude you have got to watch Troll Hunter, if you ever get the chance, get it watched because it's it's really really good. And you know, I don't go out my way to watch foreign films, um, not for any other particular reason than I've most likely not heard of it. But I just over the years had heard so many people say it's a good one. Like watch Troll Hunter, you'll like it. And I'm I'm glad that I eventually you know found it on Netflix and stuck mm-hmm. it on and voila. But you know, it made it made its money back, but not 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 much more than that in the grand scheme of things. But um, I think I think everyone probably got paid as well. So you know, yeah. What more do you want? <laughs> when you're when you're working with these kind of low budgets, it's how you 
it's how you divide up that kind of that money and I, I've said before that, that my favourite film studio in operation today is, is Bloomhouse because they've got very strict rules when it comes to making films I mean they're they're not churning out films that are budgets 100 million plus we are we're not going anywhere even near 10 million get out was made for four and a half million and this is how they end up with such successful kind of markups compared to to other 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 films that even they, they might make a billion but people still question whether they're successful because you might have spent 500 million making it marketing it and they're actually expecting double that so to see it make a little bit of a profit is actually I'm, I'm really glad that it did because it, it did find a global audience perhaps not in the same way as say something like crouching tiger hidden dragon yeah but certainly people were catching on to it and word of mouth definitely helped it um, i think you've you've shown that from just having a conversation and 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 again this might be a stigma but a lot of people don't like to watch foreign films because they don't like to read the subtitles yeah now i will watch a film subtitled if i am really really lazy or perhaps if i want a giggle uh, i might watch the dubbed version but that's rare i mean i don't i've never minded uh, subtitles because some of the best films are world cinema titles you you just get into a pattern where you're used to it so eyes go down and then you eyes go back up to the middle of the, the screen for, for for what's to come but definitely people kind of need to i think give foreign films world cinema titles a bit more attention because you'll see stuff that you haven't seen before and that's yeah. a good thing because people get bored People get bored of what they see. I mean, one of the one of the most successful TV shows that's streaming on Netflix, and I think is in its third series, is is Dark. Yeah. And that's because of its similarity to Stranger Things. Now you can watch Dark dubbed, or you can watch it with subtitles. Um, probably most people will watch it dubbed because, again, like I said, they can't cope with doing two things at once. And if you read subtitles. Although you're always going to lose something in translation, it's a lot closer to the original rather than a dubbed version. No, I know what you mean. Um, I mean, I personally, I, I fired it up originally for Laura and I to watch, and it was it was automatically set to dubbed, and we only made it like two minutes before we were both super annoyed because it just it, it didn't match up. So when yeah. I found, when I discovered, yeah. I'm incredibly late to the game. When I, I discovered that you could switch it off and just put the subtitles on, I watched it by myself. Laura wasn't really um, all that fussed about, you know, reading the subtitles and stuff. So I fired it on one morning um, and just watched it myself. And I think even though I don't understand Norwegian, it made a lot more sense and it felt a lot more authentic here and it actually spoken in the, the you know, the, the native tongue, like the yeah. way it was supposed to be spoken in. Um, I just think it's it a definitely beautiful helped. language. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I always like, I always enjoy hearing certain words that just kind of sound like, you know, like for, for example, I'm pretty sure "credit card" in German is "credit Karten or something like that. You know, it's it's very close to the original word, what or what we would dub as the original mm -hmm. word. But you know, it's 
I'm not a linguist by any stretch, but I always find it interesting just to hear little bits and pieces because, you know, the, the English language itself is made up of lots of bits and pieces um, from, you know, mainland Europe and, you know, what was here for, for the native people and stuff. But no, I mm. had to I had to watch it with the subtitles because the, the dubbing was just going to drive me insane. I mean, I enjoy the film Kung Pao. That's that's always a funny film, but that that takes the mech that's like that, intentionally that's intentionally bad and they play about with it quite a bit whereas this was just yeah. <laughs> voice actors in a studio <laughs> like just yeah not 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 quite on the mark so working off such a small budget okay now when we did spider-man into the spider-verse it was quite surprising to find out that the scenes that were the most expensive were the ones that involved dialogue and exposition because they every time they changed the dialogue they had to reanimate and because it was a two's process they were doubling their animation so what seemed quite simple actually was very expensive now looking at this movie you might think special effects they are going to be the costly thing moving from location to location have you got any guesses now with your newfound knowledge obviously of what seems simple but costs lots any guesses any idea as to what was one of the most expensive things to accomplish in troll hunter i'm gonna go out on a limb and i could be completely wrong but was it the breakfast scene where they go to the cafeteria and have the conversation no it's not i I'm willing to give you a clue. You have one and I have one. Okay, that's tricky. I'm I'm now I'm now trying to sort of fast forward through the film in my head. I, I've had one and you've had one. Not had. Have. You you have one and I have one. What do we share in common? We've both got beards, both have red hair. Nah, put me out of my misery. I'm gonna kick myself. It's uh, it's Hansi's beard. What really? Yes, because uh, it's it's not real. He one of the, one of the things that actually people talked about at the time was how good his beard looked. So one of the most time-consuming practical makeup effects is the beard that Otto uh, Jesperson had to put on to play hands every single day. It is made from Tasmanian mountain dog hair. Jesus. And it took 30 minutes to apply, which doesn't seem like a long time, but it's 30 minutes application on average, and then 30 minutes to take off. And it's not the same beard daily. It's a new beard every single time because the hair would not stand up to the temperature and the humidity because it changes very quickly from area to area that ah. you go. And he hated it as well. He if you if you see on the extras, there's a lovely scene. You actually you, he walks into the trailer, the makeup trailer, to get his beard put on in the morning. And he's so clean shaven and lovely and he looks totally different. But he hated it. It was very uncomfortable. And by the end of it, it, it was like, he said it was like wearing wet dog hair. Oh. Which is exactly what it was because that was the hair it was made out of. Now, I, I said at the start of the podcast that you don't get a lot of emotion from, from Hans, his character. Yeah. And 
that's because of the glue that's on his face to hold the beard in place. Oh, right. It's, it's stiffened his face. So he actually lost... There's a great... Again, this is on the one of the extras on the DVD. If you, they asked Otto to smile and he he couldn't do it. He couldn't smile because... He could. He had no muscle to control because his face was too tight with the glue. So you know how he looks. He looks permanently annoyed. He's got that Judge Dread grimace yeah, going on. Yeah. The beard froze his face muscles in position. So once the beard was on, that was it. And that that's one of the reasons that you never see his character smile because he couldn't. That's that is very interesting. I've I have heard quite you know I've heard a lot of or I've watched a lot of interviews with people that have been on like been under a lot of makeup when they've been in films like Karen Gillan who plays Nebula in yes. the Marvel films and uh, I think Jim Carrey as well when he played the Grinch I think he spent like a record amount of time in makeup and was almost not going to do the film because it was like something ridiculous like three to five hours every day mm-hmm. to have and like most of the hairs that were put in on, on the sort of bodysuit it was yak hair and i think a lot of it was actually put in individually incredibly effective right that was a really yes. good costume the grinch is still a really funny christmas film to this oh, day it's really really good but you can totally see why sitting in a chair i mean Otto was always in a chair for half an hour like you were saying you know to get it on and get it taken off now that can be quite frustrating and obviously the glue is mucking about with your face and it doesn't smell great but you could also be sitting for four to five hours in a makeup yeah. chair every morning do a whole day of shooting and then have to go back to the trailer for four or five days that has got to be exhausting yeah the main reason that val kilmer did not return to play Batman for a second time was because of the suit. Was it? The suit was too constricting. He couldn't move or turn properly in it. And actually, if you go back and look at Batman Forever, the movements are very stiff. Yeah. Because they, they rebuilt the suit uh, after from Tim Burton's movie. And visibility was incredibly poor. And I imagine that that was probably quite frustrating for an actor. Yeah. Quite claustrophobic. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, to be in a costume like that, again, for, you know, it would be quite frust- quite difficult to get into, but then to try and act without being able to move very well, with the heat, you know, God forbid you need to go to the toilet as well. You know, that's... Well, that's, that's one thing that... Kilmer says in his autobiography is that going to the toilet was a 45 minute process oh jeez that's not good that that's where things should have been taken into consideration you know with costume design it's like look you we're not going to be able to you know see much below the waist in this batman film yeah. i mean i don't personally see a great deal of back crotch in any of the batman films but it would have been good to have just something that made it easier for the person wearing it to you know just just to help with their sanity a little bit but well that's the thing it becomes a miserable process then. yeah and you can understand I think that sometimes people get unnecessary flack about perhaps why they abandon things or they don't want to do things. A prime example is Hugo Weaving, who was a fantastic Red Skull, but he had a horrible time with the makeup and he just said, nope, I'm sorry, I am not doing it. 
and when we see the Red Skull again, it's completely animated and it's voiced by Ross Markand, who is one of the actors from The Walking Dead, who's also a very big voice actor. Ah. And his impression of Hugo Weaving doing that German accent is actually spot on. It is. Absolutely. But the this idea of you spend so many hours getting this makeup on to feel trapped and then affecting your performance and for their, their jobs to be like entertainers I, I completely get where that misery then comes from and that that need to say no because do you know what that's it sounds selfish but they're doing that for themselves yeah okay i can't imagine what it would feel like to be in those things for 12 hours a day and then you're just you're going stripping it off getting a few hours sleep back in the makeup chair constant yeah and to be honest it's you know there's loads of different elements to it and you know quite a frustrating process but i mean i know myself that if i'm looking at bright lights or a bright screen for a great amount of time i'll start to get a migraine so can you imagine being sat there for four or five hours and you have this super bright light in your face it's probably why a lot of actors have their eyes shut when they have makeup put on them is so it's so they don't get a migraine for the rest of the day but you know who else doesn't like light trolls which <laughs> I, I really quite like that particular bit where um what, what's um what's the the breed or the the type or the clan of the first one i know it was a three-headed troll but so the the three-headed troll is a woodland troll woodland troll there's 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 two types of trolls yep. there's mountain trolls and there's woodland trolls Mm -hmm. and the three-headed troll is known as the tosser lad cool and it is it has three heads but only one of the heads actually is functioning yes Uh, the two the two other heads they actually don't have eyes and they are in in troll mythology an extra head can be grown as a way of attracting a mate mm. and appearing appearing superior, and the it's also to threaten any other trolls or predators. So it's kind of like the three heads look incredibly sinister, but it's not like Cerebus mm. in mythology where each head is functioning. So the main head is the one that controls sees everything and the other two are basically for show i I liked those kind of explanations in the film you know how they they kind of went into the lore of it um you know the you you find out that the the ultraviolet lights and stuff you know they they cause them the there's like a it's like a sort of lack of vitamin d or a sort of calcium or something and i I can't remember the full explanation but when the the uv light um hits them um, intensely enough that's what causes them to turn to stone and that's obviously part yes. of kind of like troll mythology you know prior to this film but it's just how it tries to give it almost like a scientific explanation i thought that was quite interesting and bits like that yeah i i really liked the use of the uv light because it allowed them it allowed hands to have different variations of it so he had a spotlight he mm-hmm. had lights mounted on his on his van and he had one that he carried as well so you've got all this kind of 
different what looked like weaponry and it reminded me of the UV lights that they used in Blade 2 to obviously expose to, to the vampires or I think they had UV bullets as well. It just again it, it makes everything a little bit different because if you're wanting things to appear realistic troll mythology is actually a huge part of Norway. I've actually got uh, when we came back from Norway, we came back with a little troll oh, in cool. my daughter's room. He's dressed as a fisherman. And, <laughs> you know, with literature over there, you're dealing with books that go back to like the kind of, I think it's the 18th century. And that's the, the stuff that they are consulting. That's the stuff that they are looking at. And there's famous paintings of trolls. That's where you get the look of the Ringlefinch, which is the troll that lives under the bridge. Yeah. And also the Dovergoop, which is the, the cave trolls with the noses that look like giant penises. <laughs> both of them both of them are based on paintings and pictures of trolls from Norwegian folklore literature. And again, I think that people would watch that as the Norwegian audience they would recognize it and that links in really nicely with your with your realism yeah because if you're making a, a film that's like split across three levels right mm -hmm. and you've got you've got this found footage mockumentary style it's controlled interviews with talking heads you know we're sitting down with hands we're learning stuff then we're tracking movements we're following in his footsteps as a troll hunter and then we're going to hit you with horror, terror and fear. But the stuff that you've grown up with. Yeah. So when you see that, it's all intensified and it's like, holy crap. And I must admit, I'm kind of jealous that I wasn't a Norwegian audience member. Yeah. Because I think that you would have got so much out of this movie. And it would be like, I'm so proud yeah. to kind of experience this and see these these even though they're computer generated but you know to see these trolls and 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 they're walking about our actual uh, landscape i genuinely think that that must have been so exciting mm -hmm. i've mentioned about the realism okay and I, I found this out and you might find it hopefully quite interesting as well but even like tiny things Beyond the location, beyond using, you know, not necessarily actors, but literally the people that they found who were there at the scenes, okay? When the film starts, we've got the typical convention of lost found footage, which is anchorage text on screen that tells you how the footage came about. Oh, yeah, okay? yeah. So what we have, I've actually written it down, I'm not sad <laughs> uh, the it says on october 13th 2008 film camera tin as and that's a real norwegian film studio because i googled it oh okay received an anonymous package with two hard disks containing 283 minutes of film material this film is a rough cut version of that material everything is shown in chronological order and no images have been manipulated. A team of investigators spent more than a year trying to establish whether this was a practical joke or if the material was authentic. 
they concluded that it was authentic. Now, not only is that a great way to pique your audience's interest and set the scene, but just to have even that, that film studio's name, that's a real film studio. It's like the most successful film studio in Norway. Yeah. And like at the end, to use the actual prime minister. Fair enough, they redubbed it. Yeah. Okay? But this goes back to this idea that you're presenting something that could be a real thing. Yeah. And you hanker back to Blair Witch. And actually, I'll go on record and I'll say that I personally think that out of all the lost film footage films, it's the closest to take that formula that Blair Witch introduced to the world and went with it in a new and creative way. They didn't just replicate it, but they ran with it very successfully and they made it fit the audience that they were targeting. Um, I totally agree, and that that was quite a. I quite liked that little bit of uh, that tidbit of trivia because I was wondering as to how much real aspects they brought in. Obviously, it was filmed on location. It was you know it was a film yeah. made in Norway, mostly for a Norwegian audience. Um, you know, and all this this that and the next thing, but to actually bring in a Norwegian film studio and stuff like that i thought that was quite good and it's a little bit different because i can't i know that's very similar to like you mentioned to the blair witch project premise but um i was just going to ask can you remember how the paranormal activity footage is found is there anything like that at the start i'm sure there was there, but i can't remember there is yes there is the typical lost footage will always start with the on-screen anchorage that will tell you a date a time yeah it'll tell you the location it might even say that police officers were first on the scene this is the footage that was recovered and then you you have anchorage at the end because we actually have have that in the film this film as well uh-huh. because when you get to the end of the film we have to link back to the idea of lost found we have to remind the audience that this is the genre that we're dealing with and the best way to do that is you build towards your climax and then you cut to black. Yeah. And that's what happens with with Thomas. He is running, trying to save the hard drives, all the work that they've got. Johanna has already been caught. Yeah. Cal is being killed by the cave trolls. And the end credits uh, it, it cuts when there is a truck which appears to be stopping for Thomas. Yeah. So, and then it comes up and it says, the recordings end here. Nobody was ever found in the mine and the teenagers behind the recordings have vanished without a trace. So straight away, you've got that link to Blair Witch, okay? The students were never found for that. Yeah. We strongly encourage anyone with information about their fate to contact Film Camera 10 AS or your nearest police station. So that echoes the missing posters that they actually put in circulation for the student filmmakers for Blair Witch. Yeah. It has been impossible to get the government to confirm the existence of the Troll Security Service. However, indirect confirmation was given during Prime Minister Jans Stoltenberg's 
biannual press conference in Oslo on June 25th, 2010. And then it cuts to the press conference. So you And you actually end on that lovely joke, <laughs> which we've already mentioned. Yeah. But at the end of that, they still get another joke in. And this is actually my second favourite part of the whole film. Oh, okay. Okay. And it's so simple. But I'm, I'm a cheap date... I like a I like a good giggle, and as the final credits scroll up, what appears on screen, no trolls were harmed in the making of this film. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, that's that's always good. I'm sure there's something similar to that. I don't know if it was um, I don't know if you find that in the credits for How to Train a Dragon or something like that, but. I'm sure I've seen something similar for dragons yeah. as well. No dragons were harmed in the making of this film and stuff. And I thoroughly, I thoroughly enjoyed this film. Like it, you can tell that a lot of thought had been put into it because yeah, there's a lot of thought in the details. There's a little bit more lore. There's you know they tried to explain or scientifically explain some of the phenomenon to do with the trolls. They almost the the trolls themselves are almost treated kind of like just an other another species of or another type of fauna. Um, in mm. Norway that can obviously have a much more detrimental effect to people if they stayed closer but you know I'm sure like a couple are killed um, at one point during the film and they buy a troll but they cover it up and say that it was a bear but that that yes. was one of the funny parts was that Polish um, guy who brings who provides the bear to say oh we've shot the bear that killed the couple sort of thing and it was the wrong type of bear and that guy was like mm. completely eccentric and he's like oh a bear is a bear but I've also <laughs> it's also led me to think that part maybe part of the reason that Hans or um, yeah Hans was so up for talking to the students and was just finally sick of being treated the way he was was because of how sloppy everyone else was you know was being because you know the footprints didn't make any sense the fake footprints they were putting uh, yeah. sort of not footprints but like the bear paws in the mud. Yeah, um, yeah, you know the bear being not quite right. You know things like that. There was a lot of detail put in, even things like um, Hans having lots of Factor Fifty sun cream in his in his trailer. Um, mm -hmm. You know because he has to have the UV lights on like all the time. Um, yeah, you know just little details like that, and they they don't really they don't go into it much. They don't talk about it a lot, but it's just little cast off things that kind of make sense and. I personally have a bit more of appreciation for stuff like that if it's just been thought about, written, it's in the film, but it's not made a big deal about. And then obviously, when you meet up with one of your really good friends and you run a podcast to help keep your sanity, you can have these kind of conversations and nerd yeah, yeah. and geek out about things like this. Yeah, geeking out—that's that's the term. <laughs> you get to geek out. We get to geek out and turn it up to eleven. Absolutely. What is your favourite part of this film, Duke? The is it the Jotner? Was that the really big one? Yes, the 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 Larder Jotnen, which is the the Jotner. Jotner. And the that is a woodland troll again, um, because it's kind of just roaming. Okay? Oh, okay. And it's a gigantic, a fast moving. Hunched like an old man, hideous in appearance with claws, fangs, and deformed features. And the Hans has only seen one um, Jotner before, and he killed it. And at the, the end of the movie is Hans facing off. In order to save 
kind of deshunts as well, well yeah. with uh, a yachtner because we don't we actually don't find out what happens to Hans. We've discovered that he is able through a variety of different methods to take out the yachtner with UV light um, and kind of prolong it so that because because dawn is coming in as well. Yeah, yeah. I think it's probably the Yachtner scene then, because I thought it was really good. Um, I thought that for the budget that the film was on and the time that the CGI was not nearly as bad as I've seen in other higher budget films. I thought the trolls themselves throughout the film looked really, really cool. Very unique, very different, <clears throat> which again probably was helped by them having different traits and stuff like that. But the Yachtner f- scene was really quite epic and i thought the the scenery like you know it was quite a barren place i think they were quite far north um in terms of location and you know i know that's where all the action kicks off and you know there's a bit of a chase and they're trying to trying to get hold of this yachtner but there was just something you know something really quite menacing seeing something that big even far off in the distance coming towards you you're kind of like yeah you know you're not when they're in the they, they see it in the cabin yes initially and that prompts almost this the the chase yeah and i mean do you for you is it it's like a payoff we we see the troll completely out in the open yeah and there's no kind of nothing hiding because previously we have the the ringo finch which is under the bridge at night we have the uh the tosser lad which is in the woodlands and again you're seeing it at night you're seeing it on night vision and even the, the the mountain kings you see them mainly through through night vision goggles so things that are distorted and that's that's a convention of lost footage as well but with the the yachtner it's like it's fully exposed yeah it was I, th- I found it really good. I really enjoyed it, and I did I enjoyed seeing it, and I thought it was well-placed as well. I think you didn't get... Because all the other trolls were kind of obscured one way or another, when you did finally see one fully, it was kind of like, oh, wow, that's... You know, it was quite impressive, but not only that, it was obviously one of the biggest species, one of the biggest types of troll yeah. as well, so this massive huge um monster and it was it was really quite cool to see and it, it it came across as quite threatening as well i mean i suppose you had was it the ringo finch that's the one that lives under the bridge yes the ringo finch yeah yep in that scene where hans puts on like the armor he obviously knows what they can sometimes be like yeah i actually thought that was him dead because even though it was again you know animated it looked incredibly violent when it hit him, yeah. when it th- when it sort of threw him about, and you know a lot all this sort of stuff takes place in the the deepest darkest woods or in like you know because they can't come out during the daylight, but it was almost kind of like dawn coming on to dawn when you saw yes um, when you saw the yachtner and you know I just think it looked very cool. There was a good chase. Yeah, there was definitely a sense of threat and adventure and yeah it cut a long story short or a long answer no, short that's... it was good i loved that scene that was probably the best for me what about you i think that's a good choice because the with the visual look of the yachtner i mean that's probably it's really challenging and it, when it runs or when it is going through things obviously they have to to show that kind of movement and they actually did cut down trees 
Um, oh right. They, they whenever you saw a tree fall, that was a real tree that they they cut down. They, it was they had permission to do all of that because like the 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 three headed troll, the tosser lad, the 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 forest that they were filming in was part of a farm, which actually grows trees, and so they had full, they had permission to to cut down the trees to show the movement, um, and it was the same with with the Jotner, but. I really like the the Jotner scene because when I was looking into it, I mean it's quite a a process for animation, and when you're working again off that kind of low budget, you've got a skeletal frame, okay, mm-hmm. that's how you begin, and then you map that with your muscle frame, oh, okay, and then you map that with your skin frame. But then this is so this is the bit that I really got excited at. So I'm geeking out here. <laughs> my my girls love. The animation films trolls okay now they're not trolls <laughs> they're just, they're they're colorful blobs of happiness that just really irritates me <laughs> these were trolls the yachtner was a troll yeah okay when i think of trolls that i read about growing up from fairy tales that's what i imagine and the fourth frame was the vegetation frame the yachtner had stuff growing on it and that's what I loved. It was like, you know, these things were part of the landscape. It had snow and ice falling off of it. Yeah. But it had ve- it had vegetation. And that was amazing. That was incredible. And visually, visually stunning. It wasn't my favourite part, though. No, what is your favourite part? My favourite part was the bridge scene. And I think it was my favourite part because... One of my favourite stories growing up was Three Billy Goats Gruff. Oh, yeah. And you then have that on screen, but just an insane version, mm. you know, because <laughs> yeah. it's, we're, we're no longer dealing with who's that trip trapping over my bridge, yep. you know. We're dealing with a real troll <laughs> who is hungry and is not going to pussyfoot around. They're looking for that sheep. They're looking for that goat. And they munch it. I mean, he actually takes the goat and smacks it into the ground yeah. because he can't. He can't be bothered listening to it. It's bleating. Yeah. But when you see Hans rock out in the Tin Man suit. Yeah. Okay. And he's just trying to get a blood sample. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's not. He's 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 not necessarily going to kill it, but he 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 tries to get the blood sample and it doesn't go very well. And what I love is. The combination of CGI and practical effects because the Ringo Finch explodes. Uh-huh. And one of the filmmakers, Thomas, again turns to the camera and says, Apparently, there are uh, trolls that also explode. <laughs> um, because obviously, we've had, we've had trolls that turn to stone. Yeah. And the Ringo Finch explodes and just covers the whole area in gunk. <laughs> and that's a practical effect where they are exploding uh, glycerol, which is like sh- a sugar sweetener kind of compound, but it's sticky and thick. Oh, okay. And when I when I made horror films when I was younger, we would use fairy up liquid, which is thick and has that kind of consistency. Yeah. And we would add red food dye to oh, that. Yeah. And as long as you get rid of the bubbles, you've kind of got the thickness, but... But glycerol is a common thing that they'll use, and then they'll they'll also use KY jelly for the shiny effect. Oh right, yeah, yeah. So when you when you see aliens and the the queen alien's mouth 
kind of comes out and you know all that stuff's dripping off and everything that's that's just ky jelly that they've they've formulated and mixed and kind of uh thinned oh okay um, i remember hellraiser they used a lot of ky jelly to make everything shiny and that especially the uh the cenobite pinhead and one of the most embarrassing things that the the makeup artist had to do was go to a chemist because they'd run out of ky jelly and ask for all their ky jelly <laughs> and of course you know what people automatically assume uh people are going to be doing with ky jelly and using it for and he had a very embarrassing moment with the chemist trying to purchase his entire stock of it and <laughs> it's, it's for a horror film we're not we're not having an orgy or anything like that um but i love the the bridge scene it's classic kind of troll myth mm -hmm. and i'm sorry i have to repeat this phrase it's my token phrase okay classic bridge troll myth dialed up to 11 <laughs> with an explosion of guts and <laughs> gore and i loved it absolutely loved it so with that being said what would you give it rating wise what would you give troll hunter okay so my rating system as ever is chainsaws and i use five chainsaws as my top score i give troll hunter four chainsaws out of five i am trimming off one chainsaw for just a marginal thing and that is that at times pacing can be a little off and that's purely because of the journey that we have to go on and perhaps I would have liked to maybe push things a little bit far. I would have liked to have seen what happened to Cal. Um, mm. I think that they, they possibly could have had him carried away by mountain trolls. Yeah. And kind of, you know, we, we could have had a shot of Joanna picking up the camera and Cal screaming... And then as he's taken off by these mountain trolls to God knows what happens, it could have left our imagination to go yeah. kind of wild. So in in areas, I would have liked them to have pushed it a little bit more. And in other areas, I would have liked them to have kind of just, just sped it up a little bit. Yeah. Other than that, this is a film that I, I, I recommend. I mean, again, if you're a film, if you're a fan of, lost found footage movies i think everybody needs to experience troll hunter because for me it's the most creative one out there since the blair witch project and again that's just my opinion other people will will clearly disagree with that there's a lot of people that don't like the blair witch project but the lost found footage film is a leap and turning point in cinema you know i i i couldn't do anything but love it um, well, believe it or not, my scoring system being the Infinity Stone, so I'm out of six, I would give it five out of six. And <laughs> I did actually have my reason for it, and you've already beat me to the punch. It was actually... I've stolen it. I'm yeah, so no. sorry. <laughs> this is your film as well. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all right, though. I guess it just highlights how kind of similarly we think when it comes to certain things. But it was, it was, it was just the pacing, which isn't even a massive thing for me normally, and definitely not in this film, but you know it, it was a it was a bit of a slow start and it, I, I always understand that you need to you need to have time in order to try and establish 
um, yeah. setting, a bit of plot, character and stuff like that. But And, you know, again, I understand there was a reason for so many different shots out of, car, out of the car and van windows and trying to follow hands whilst he's, you know, going on different assignments and stuff. But it did, t- it just, for me, it took quite a while for things to actually start getting properly, you know, really, really interesting. So, um, they They yeah. really could have just done it in half, if not less that the time, you know. Yeah. We, we could have really been running at a quick pace from about 10 minutes. Yeah. I, th- I think that that could have easily have been done. And had they done that, perhaps they would have had more room to do more creative things later on and like you say it's you can understand why they do it but sometimes we just want to go bang straight into it yeah you know and we can we can find out stuff as we go just maybe chuck a little bit more courage into the filmmaking process here and don't make your audience wait no, I would agree with that. That's very good, actually. Yeah, that's a very good way of putting it. I, I agree wholeheartedly. So going to reviews, we've got Rotten Tomatoes sitting at 81%, audience score 72%. Again, I think that that is... It, it should be higher, but I'm probably going to conclude that it's slightly lower. And I mean... People will say that 72% is not a low score or anything like that, but obviously we've been dealing with a lot of 97s and 92s, and 72% for an audience score, I reckon it's because it is a Norwegian film. Yeah, I... Maybe it needs to be taken into consideration how the audience... I don't know, I didn't personally find it, but, it, you know, did they watch the dubbed version? Did they watch the subtitle version? Did, you know, were there two audiences and they were, you know, did they have a choice? You know, th- things like that. Yeah. But... Well, that's that's a good point, actually, because you mentioned that on Netflix, it automatically plays the dubbed version. Yeah. And that is perhaps something that needs addressed. When you if you if you choose something that is a foreign language film, mm-hmm. should that be more obvious to the viewer? Should we come up with an option that says watch dubbed original watch original um, language film subtit English subtitles watch dubbed rather than having to go into the settings yeah. and do it that way? Should it just pop up straight away? Yeah, just giving you option A or option B. Because um, why does it go straight into the dubbed? Don't know. I really don't know. I don't know if that's maybe, you know, exclusively a Netflix feature, but yeah, I, it wasn't for me. Um, n- now that I know that that can be done, though, there might be a lot more things on Netflix that I'll personally go back and try and watch. Maybe mm. even things like Dark, because I know that can turn the dubbing off. Because just for me personally, I, I, I didn't or I didn't or I haven't enjoyed any sort of dubbed things uh, dubbed TV shows you've also got the you've got a lot of good animation with the Studio Ghibli films Mm. being available on Netflix as well and again you can then switch off that because they'll it'll automatically go into the American version which for animation is obviously slightly different because you're not necessarily having the problem with with the mouth yeah okay and they normally get big name actors to 
to do the voices oh. as opposed to the, the dub one where it's um, Stephen Toast. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, <laughs> there might be a... Ste- Stephen, this is Glenn Fandango. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you, Glenn Fandango. <laughs> Mr. Ebert himself, not just RogerEbert.com, but the Roger Ebert, he said that Troll Hunter is a mockumentary, allegedly edited from anonymous footage and certainly inspired by the Blair Witch Project, things we've all covered. Um, it has something going for it. We see a lot of trolls and we saw precious few witches. You know, yeah, that's a good last line. Yeah. Okay? So what what is your take? What is your interpretation of that last line? We see a lot of trolls and we saw precious few witches. The way I would interpret that is it was probably, maybe not even a dig, but obviously in the Blair Witch Project, you don't ever see the witch. I think the most you get his footsteps like right at yeah. the end that's that's all you get you get some eerie noises through the night and uh, through the different nights and stuff while they're in the forest and whatnot but i'm a great believer in use and you know and people people have a fear of what they don't understand and people have a great and because of that people have a great fear of what they can't see so i thought that you know i thought that boy or witch project had that going for it um, in terms of troll hunter, I think you needed to see the trolls. It was all fine and well seeing evidence of trolls, like knocked over trees and you know people, the you know Norwegian government trying to cover things up. But I think you actually needed to see the trolls, and it 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 didn't disappoint. Like when you saw the trolls, you were kind of like, oh wow, that's that's freaky looking, or you can see the detail, you can see the amount of thought that's been mm-hmm. put into it. I don't know if the the comment is maybe potentially made towards right. So you've got trolls that are these fictional characters, but there was no other fictional or mythical characters added into it. You know, it was a troll hunter film. It was about trolls. There was no mention of witches or warlocks or goblins or anything else. Like nothing else in that particular world world exists. Okay. It's just trolls. So you, okay, so you you take that one then. I think fairly literally. I'll tell you what I make of it just to see if I can influence your opinion or not, okay? So, see when he says it has something going for it. We see a lot of trolls and we saw precious few witches. The way that I interpret that is that we see a lot of good things and there's not that much bad Hmm. going on. There's not that many problems with it. That's a much better way of looking at it. one of the problems you could argue with the Blair Witch is that you don't see the Blair Witch. Good shout. So there's so there's no payoff. So I think it's this idea that we get one, two, three, we get four variations of trolls. Okay. Yep. And plenty of them, especially because you're. I think you get about four of the Mountain Kings. Yeah. Just kind of running about as they do. So lots of positives, not that many negatives. That's that's the way that I read it. That's probably a far better way of looking at it, and that makes a lot more sense now that you've uh, explained it to me, Dum Dum Doug. No, 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 it's, it's not. It's not <laughs> no, it's, I know. It's, I think it is down to it is completely open to interpretation because I think you made some good points there. But I think that it's a very interesting line that the they comment on from that review because because to me it really stood out and i think it from 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 the way that i read it i think that i think that ebert is actually 
is is really fair and and again spot on that there's a lot going on here mm. and without having to go into the ins and outs of like we've already said to do with pacing there's not that much in terms of bad stuff there's not that much in terms of witches yeah and that you're 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 wanting or you're expecting it might have even helped a Blair Witch Project to just do that a little bit better if there was a payoff and that you did see some kind of witch at the end of the film. Maybe that was one thing that people felt a bit jaded about is that they didn't. There, there was no payoff. There was footsteps. It's, but it's very difficult. It's tricky. It is actually because obviously it's, you're dealing with something that had never been done before, and in a way you could argue that ending with the shot of the person in the corner which they'd already talked about and mentioned as being part of the Blair Witch lore and then the noise behind turning around and the camera going on the floor, the maybe that is that is enough because it opens it to your... It's like an open resolution where the power lies with you as opposed to a closed resolution, which is there's the witch, that's what they look like. Yeah. Sometimes what you're left with to come up with yourself is scarier or is better. But I totally get why a lot of people don't like the Blair Witch Project because there is not necessarily that big payoff. Yeah. And for some, the sickness cam rather than the steady cam, rather than the proper kind of tracking, yeah. that, was a, that was a bit much as well. So it's like you experience this for 90 minutes, you want to throw up and then you're, you're, you're telling me I'm not even getting to see a witch. So, but I, 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 like, I like Ebert's um, review there. Uh-huh. I think it was two and a half stars he gave it. I know Roger Ebert tends to, or .com, rogerebert.com. They're at four. They do out at four. So two, two and a half isn't actually that bad. I think I just forgot to include it. But, you know, it's now you, the, the, the way you've explained it, that does make a lot more sense. And I guess it, it really does come down to how you felt about the Blair Witch Project when it came out originally. What else have we got? What, what, did, uh, what else have we got? We've got... We've got Empire, which oh, yeah. gave it four out of five, and they said this is not a picture to skimp on the giant monster action. Yeah, because mm-hmm. once you get past that initial lull, you do have lots of of, of troll action. Yeah, you then have a true exploration of the the mythology, which is relevant and realistic to Norway. It's not insulting in any way. No. Uh, because like I said, if you visit Norway, if you read any Norwegian literature to do with trolls, if you look at images of them, what we have on film is a great modernization interpretation of what they look like. And I was not disappointed with, with the visuals. So I, I would actually agree with that. And you know that it's rare even with my subscription, that Emperor and I see eye to eye. <laughs> um, the Guardian said it was a funny, scary, highly individual horror flick in the found footage sort of genre like Blair Witch Project and Cloverfield style. Yeah, yes and no. I think, if anything, it was maybe a bit closer to Cloverfield because Cloverfield had a bit more in terms of giant monsters and heavy on the CGI, but still in the style of a found footage film. I did enjoy Troll Hunter a lot more than Cloverfield. There was bits of Cloverfield I quite liked, but you know there was there was quite a bit of it that I, I didn't as well. 
Yeah. It's, it's, I think it's always going to be a difficult thing, especially with found footage films. You know, trying to act out or react to seeing something and not having the camera up, up to your face. Because in reality, if you were confronted by this giant monster that was able to eat skyscrapers, your initial reaction for a normal sane person is not to try and get the best angle muck about with the focus try and get the lighting just absolutely spot on yeah. your initial reaction is ha huh, should probably try and get out of the city but <laughs> you know then you wouldn't you wouldn't get much of a film out of that so it's it's always going to be a bit hence, of a, a difficult hence why you run when someone goes and they did they, they did run <laughs> i think that's a good point the the clo- I think Cloverfield has been a little bit undone by the franchise. Yeah. Cloverfield Paradox especially is a very, very poor film. And to be honest, it was actually a separate film that wasn't really working out. And they ended up just putting in some connections so they could market it as a as a Cloverfield oh, film. And that's no. that's that's fairly poor when that happens. I mean that's been done by Hollywood in the lot, but uh, that's been that's been done repeatedly by Hollywood when you market a film as part of a franchise and it's actually got nothing really to do with it. You just tweak things here and there and it's laziness and it's it's so that they can get something out and attract an audience that it's already existing for that yeah. previous film so that they can essentially recoup their money that they've lost on it. You know, it's, yeah. they, they, they take a turkey that they know that we've got a turkey in production. Let's try and get at least our money back. Let's call it this. Let's reshoot some scenes. Let's market it like this. Bish bash bosh. And they normally do make their money back, but the, the cost is it makes you not like perhaps the other films. Yeah. Cloverfield, to me, that started with a bang. I mean, I remember seeing the the head of the Statue of Liberty in the in the trailers for that, and thinking, "Whoa, I've just got to see this." And yeah, part of me was a little bit disappointed when it kind of turned into almost like this alien Godzilla type film. Uh-huh. I then kind of questioned its uniqueness. I enjoyed it at the time. But after I saw Cloverfield Paradox, I, I was like, nah. I'm Did done you with ever that. watch Cloverfield Lane? The thing with John Goodman? Yeah, was I, saw, I saw 10 Cloverfield Lane at the cinema, and Laura and I really enjoyed it. But again, that was never meant to be was it not? a Cloverfield film. No. Ah. The, so all the special effects and everything that they did at the end, you know, when she comes out of the bunker and. It's all you know, just tacked on. They, they had a great idea in the in the bunker with the crazy John Goodman. John Goodman's very good in that film. Oh, okay. And it just loses, it, unfortunately, in like the last fifteen minutes because then it's we we need to do it this because it came out of nowhere. Yeah. And n- nobody, everyone was like, "There's a sequel to Cloverfield." Yeah, what's, yeah. What's, what's going? And it's purely manipulative marketing because they didn't know what to do with it. I think whatever marketing executive or film executive came up with that, that idea maybe should have dialed it back on their Bolivian marching powder with their breakfast because, let's face it, those were not <laughs> great ideas. So, but, you I know, mean, what, what, what would have been so wrong with the main character just getting out of the bunker and escaping 
some sort of just crazed guy that believed that it was the end of the world or there, there was some sort of disease or she gets out of the bunker and she breaks down and vomits and dies in front of her eyes because actually he was protecting her from something that was real yeah that stuff would have been so much better yeah and yet that, that's what we got instead Oh well, yeah. at least uh, at least Troll Hunter didn't disappoint. So we have that at least. We have a successful modern found foot. Oh, I say modern, yeah, modern found Woo! footage film. So uh, yeah, woo. Have you got anything you would like to recommend, Duke? I mean, we've talked about quite a lot of the different sort of films throughout. I mean, I would definitely recommend that if anyone has not watched the Blair Witch Project, definitely go watch it and make up your own mind. Do not let people dictate to you that it's a that it's not a good film because i did what like i said i watched it many many years after it was made um and i thought it was quite good for different reasons i would have liked to have personally seen the blair witch but i didn't so yeah definitely watch that and you know even the likes of like cloverfield and paranormal activity again just just watch them because they after blair witch cloverfield and paranormal activity definitely the first two the paranormal activity films the mm. They tend to try and do the found footage film in a slightly different way rather than Queasy Cam. They, you know, they, yeah. they, they, there's a slightly different setting, so there's a slightly different premise. The idea of a gigantic Godzilla-sized monster attacking New York and someone's filming it, again, the idea is pretty good. I just don't think overall it was executed as best as it could be. I thought it was all right. It could have been so much more, so definitely watch those ones. And yeah, de- definitely just try and give foreign cinema full stop a good a good watch try and watch other things that's not necessarily made completely by american or uk audiences because or disney or or disney for the love of god watch <laughs> they something own that's everything. Not disney. yeah D- disney aren't far off they've got fox and everything so you know we're only a few st- only a few uh, cinema companies uh, away from all films being made by the house uh, of mouse as long as universal and warner brothers stay and you know just just their own yeah hopefully they've got enough money to stay afloat yep. they don't need to sell sell themselves to the pimp that is mickey mouse <laughs> oh where's my money <laughs> with the fedora and everything and his uh his pimp cane <laughs> <laughs> what uh what recommendations have you got I'm going to go back to the to the start of the podcast, actually, and I am going to recommend the autopsy of, of Jane Doe as a as a not as a found footage, but just as a as another film from the director of Troll Hunter. I think that it is a very very good film. It's got some incredible practical makeup effects. And it has got a, a great story that will keep you um, guessing. Brian Cox gives a very good performance as the uh, mortician who is performing an aut- autopsy on the Jane Doe character. I mean, that the, the Jane Doe character is actually played by a real actress. And to play a dead body and also to have a mould cast of yourself in order to open it up and whatnot, she actually gives a very good performance. Mm. It's one of the things that's quite unexpected about the autopsy of Jane Doe is the performance of the cadaver. Very, very interesting and unique horror movie that I, I really can't recommend enough. In terms of lost 
footage films. I really need to kind of rack my brain here because I want to give a good recommendation. Initially, I was going to say Cloverfield, but I've talked myself out of it. What about what? What's the French one with the catacombs? As, as. Thank you, thank you. I'm gonna, for in terms of lost found footage, I'm gonna recommend As Above, So Below, which explores again this idea of the the journey. You've got the the young students, the filmmakers, they're on an exchange trip and they they go into the catacombs of Paris and. I was actually amazed at some of the special effects, uh, the CGI effects, the general storyline. I mean, the catacombs themselves. I think I would, I would love to visit them. I would be terrified. But what a great setting for a, a, a lost found footage film. Let's explore the the catacombs. Let's get our our, our guide. We're going to go in there, and of course they get lost, and odd things start to happen. Great, <laughs> great film. Nice. Okay, since this was my pick for this week, I picked Troll Hunter. What what are we gonna do next week? What are we or next podcast? Okay. What are we doing? I've I've let us down slightly because I completely forgot to write down the name of the film. <laughs> we have actually been contacted from one of our listeners, ah, cool. uh, Neil Ingalls, who has asked us uh, to perhaps consider watching a film on Amazon Prime. Okay. I want to say that the title is Zombie Cop. Um, <laughs> I believe that that is the premise of the movie. Nice. Is that it stars Treat Williams and is an 80s movie about a cop who comes back from the dead as a as a zombie. So, awesome. Um, I, I, I can't say that it's going to be a high-rating film, but it, <laughs> it certainly sounds awesome. Yeah. So... Yes, we no, we were we were contacted by one of our listeners who every every time we do a recording we do ask if you want to get in contact, if you if you want to tell us you like something, if you want to subscribe, if you want to recommend, if you want to give a shout out to something, or if you want us to even watch something and explore it, perhaps we've we've not even seen, then go for it. And I'm glad to say that uh, one of our listeners has been in touch. So whatever the title of the film may be. I hope it is Zombie Cop. <laughs> um, uh, would you be up for exploring uh, an eight, an 80s movie where a cop is reanimated as a zombie? Can't say no to something like that. That sounds fantastic <laughs> on so many levels. So, yeah, 100%. Let's, uh, we'll get the title of it, we'll get it watched, and uh, <laughs> we'll discuss next time because it sounds amazing. We will, we will explore this, uh, hopefully, hidden 80s gem. I mean, already, I'm I'm drawn to it purely by the casting of Treat Williams because I love the movie Deep Rising, which is a great 90s, awful kind of B-movie film, uh, which Treat Williams is in and also star, um, also features Famke Janssen, who was a Bond girl, and... It is about a, a giant octopus that uh, attacks that attacks a, a cruise ship of passengers. Yes. You know, act, English uh, actor Jason Fleming from Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels is in it as well. Oh, is he? <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Fellow redhead. Yeah. That's he awesome. doesn't fare well. He gets, com- he gets munched by a <laughs> tentacle. <laughs> of course he does. 
<laughs> oh, that sounds yeah. awesome. Brilliant. Right. I don't have any finishing remarks, so I'm going to try and do my best and say farewell in Norwegian. So um, thanks for listening, everyone. Um, this is Doug signing off and uh, had it. Probably butchered that, but uh, yeah, cheers. And I will just say to finish off, I mean, there, there really is only one quote that I can use. I mean, if you're out at night, if you're strolling in a woodland area, okay, and you hear a rustle, and you see a tree fall, you better run because troll picks out.